Hey, Katie. Hi, Marco. <laughs> Very natural. <laughs> I feel like if it's too staged, it's it gets weird. It's not as good. Yeah. No, that's not our charm. So this is our second installment of Radical, Radical Redemption. Redemption. Yes. And so this week, I alluded to it at the end of our last podcast, we'll be talking about A Good Man is Hard to Find uh, by Flannery O'Connor. It is a short story that you can find anywhere. Uh, you can find PDFs all over the internet if you want to read along. Um, but Flannery O'Connor... And we can link, we can link we one can of the link, notes. Yeah, we can link to it. Actually, that may be illegal. Is it really? I don't know the copyright. Okay, so we're so, not going to link it. I don't know if, we're, if it's legal to... <laughs> I mean, there's it's all over the internet. But so you go find it yourself, yes, folks. Yes, you Google a good man is hard to find PDF. It will come up, I promise you. So Flannery O'Connor. Marco, were, were you, are you familiar with her? You know, I'm familiar with her as a Catholic figure. Yes. You know, kind of notably self-professed as the hillbilly Thomist. So obviously like a Southern woman who had an affinity for Catholic thought. Yes. But that was the extent okay. of my knowledge. So, Honestly, to my shame. Because to she great shame. Yeah, because she's such an important figure. She is such an important figure, but because well, so she was later and not later in later in her life, but she was probably in her twenties, she was diagnosed with lupus, which her father had. Um, so she was quite ill and she died at thirty nine. So she's really significant and she has sh uh, short stories and two novels, but she's wasn't she wasn't prolific because she died so young. So she's, wow. but she doesn't have like a million stories to read from her 10 novels. So she may be a little more relegated to like anthologies mm. that people may or may not read. But Flannery O'Connor, she was born in Georgia in 1925. So she's Southern, but she's Catholic. So that to me is interesting because <laughs> I was in Birmingham um, at a Protestant seminary. Um, but I remember going to a Catholic church in Birmingham and they're few and far between. The mm. South is not very Catholic. And so yeah. that's kind of atypical. She's sort of a, a strong Catholic, but writes in the South, the Protestant South. So I find that an interesting mix. She kind of appeals, I mean, to all people, really. Yeah, anyone yeah. with a fine mind she appeals to. But I think she has sensibilities, both Catholic and Protestant. Um, and she kind of writes in the Southern Gothic style, which you don't need to know much about it. Um, to understand her, but it's kind of, it, it has a lot to do with uh, Southern Gothic, like the, the the past, like sort of this unhealthy desire for the past. So you're going to see that in A Good Man is Hard to Find. I mean, sort of that Southern post-Civil War longing for the greater days. Uh, so the Southern Gothic style is going to rely on that. It's kind of grotesque. It's dark. It's violent. There's, there's interesting, strange characters. You're going to find that all in... Uh, Flannery O'Connor's work and it's kind of typified in this short story but she's a great great writer who gets to everyone yeah would that be one of her critiques like kind of the grotesque nature of her writing I mean it would be a, I mean I to, to, yes, to yes. like a pious Catholic yes like I can't believe sure and this I, is so popular yeah, so in Catholic I circles <laughs> Or Christian a, circles, you know. Yes, I was reading in some, I think, Word on Fire had an article some uh, priest had written about Flannery O'Connor, and so this is not my idea, nor did I find cold internet for it. But she was a Catholic thinker, um, per, strong Catholic, but she like would not identify. She wasn't writing Catholic hmm. books. She's not writing Catholic novels. She really was probably writing more to a... The, the unbelievers, mm -hmm. right? As opposed to sort of the Catholic yeah. people. And so I think if you're just kind of reading it at face value, looking for something Catholic, you're not going <laughs> to 
<laughs> instantly see the connection, sure. right? It is grotesque. It's violent. These characters are <laughs> yeah, you got to squint to find. Yeah, like, but I love that about <laughs> yeah, her. She's like, awesome. no, I'm a Catholic. I love Jesus. So that's going to be my worldview. So that's going to be infused through my writing. But it's not didactic or obvious, which I think, not to get too pretentious, is the problem with Christian mm-hmm. art in the sense that it can be too heavy handed. And she didn't like that. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you read her, I mean, I don't know for sure, but if you read her writing, it's, it it does not fall into that category. So she's an impressive, impressive intellect. So highly recommend her novels are are great. The Violet Bared Away, Wise Blood, great novels. If you want something longer from her, but worth it, meaty and not just for Catholics, Mm -hmm. for all believers. She's a great writer. And if you just like good fiction, Flannery O'Connor. Did you know much about, about her family of origin? Um, no, not much. Okay. Do you? No, I don't. <laughs> I was like, but I, that'd be helpful if you did. I know. I know. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, her no. dad died um, when she was younger, maybe like college age of lupus, which okay. she, she ultimately died from as well. So I know. And she, never married? She never married. No. And she like was at, I believe she was doing some writing in the Northeast and then her father died, and then she moved back home to mm. Georgia and stayed with her mom till she passed away. Wow. So, I, and I think her illness—I mean, lupus can be pretty devastating. Wow. So, I think you know, the last fifteen years of her life were probably pretty restricted in terms of her physical health. And from what what I read, just a little that I read, it seemed like she was a pretty private person too. Yes, so like I we think don't really so. know yes. so much about. No, she wasn't. Yeah, kind of. In, like she she wasn't a public probably wasn't this like huge public figure yeah probably yeah. much more famous post death than she was while she was living yeah a couple of things that struck me about about her um just her even her catholic mind and i, I don't mean to just focus on her catholicism here but I, I found it really striking that she she was just really um forthright in her thinking like yes. she wasn't she wasn't into the diplomacy of oh, Catholicism. No, yeah. Like she was just kind of like, if Jesus is not in the Eucharist, the hell with it. Like yeah. she's like kind of quoted saying these, these terse right. things about like contraception and the Eucharist. Just yes. basically like, if, if this isn't real, then like, what the hell are we doing? Right. You know what and I mean? When we get to the story, there's a, a line that the character, the misfit says that is very in line with that, mm-hmm. which is very radical. I mean, she was so submitted to Jesus that she had a pretty radical viewpoint which is so helpful yeah because she's uh she would respond to the criticism of her work being grotesque is like well people are blind and people are deaf and mm. so you have to look bigger and sound louder to reach through which is so brilliant yeah. i mean that's such a brilliant understanding of why her characters when you read her stories are like oh these are atypical odd fantastical unlikable <laughs> characters some of them and it's like oh that makes sense because you're making a point to people who may not know you're making a point yeah. but she breaks through it's a it's kind of an endear she's like an endearing woman when I, you kind of <laughs> she has my birthday so we're birthday twins yes march 25th and so when i go to heaven i hope to meet her and speak with her because i bet she's a great person to just sit down and talk wouldn't with wouldn't you want to like have dinner with her yeah i'd love to oh my gosh yes <laughs> okay let's go right into the story yes. so just my first thoughts um it was just really gripping to read yeah 
It's so good. So <laughs> like it's funny. It's haunting. It's so funny. Like for those of you who are like, well, I'm not really into short stories and I don't really want to re- like should I? you should totally read this. Read like it. don't even think about it. Just, just it. download it and read it and just be delighted in in the art of her word craftsmanship. She's like brilliant. it's incredible. It's so specific, right? They talk about when you're like doing writing a novel, which I took one creative writing class in college and it was absolutely horrific. I'm terrible <laughs> at it. But it needs to be specific, right? If you are unspecific or vague, your writing has no punch. And yeah. her writing is so specific. She yeah. crafts these like short dialogue exchanges between the grandmother who's the protagonist of the story and her grandchildren. And it's just so biting and funny and real. And yeah. it's just these are relationships that you've either had or witnessed and it's so real and it's so specific and it just absorbs you. Oh my God. I listened to the audiobook. <laughs> I, I purchased the audiobook because sometimes YouTube, the amateur book readers are not so good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was so fun to listen to. So if you can get the audiobook and listen to it while you read along, it's like an immersive experience. Like I'm, I'm, I was literally at my desk like laughing out loud. Me too. This is some parts. So funny. You know. Yes. The, the, the grandkids are great. So <laughs> summary briefly. And so, what we're, for those of you who are listening and it's like, oh, I want to read it first, then you should read it before you listen to this podcast. Now. Yeah, because we're going to talk about spoilers yeah. ahead for the story that was around <laughs> hundred years ago no not quite so uh the grandmother like i said is the main character and she's lives she is with her family she has a son who is married and they have three kids two grandkids who are older and they're very funny what are their names uh, john see. wesley and june star i mean <laughs> so great like what a great names for these characters and so they're going on a family vacation and they the 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 father and the wife and the kids want to go to Flor- uh, florida but the grandmother does not and the grandmother is not a great woman she's a bit controlling and she's a bit of a liar and she really wants to go to tennessee so this kind of harkens back to the gothic southern gothic mm. Um, the the grandmother wants to go where she grew up, like the old plantation, so the old Mm. south. So kind of that longing for the the south that really is unhelpful. I think that would be a criticism Flannery O'Connor is making, that this longing for the south isn't good. Because you can, just as a caveat, you can read her work and she's going to use the N-word and Mm. people are like, oh, is she racist? Mm. Is she just this closed-minded southerner? She's actually kind of subtly criticizing this, like, Mm weird reimagining of the past. So just give her some credit there. (laughs) Um, But she wants to go to East uh, Tennessee. And so how she convinces her family to go (laughs) to East Tennessee is this man has escaped from prison and his name is the misfit. So he's a dangerous criminal and he's on the way to Florida. And so she convinces them to go to East Tennessee to avoid running into this like madman on the loose. Great foreshadowing. (laughs) irony about it's gripping honestly as you're talking about it like i i have it all imaged yes. in my mind like the you know? misfit that sounds so scary <laughs> even like 2023 where we're so cynical it's like oh my god the <laughs> misfit is loose and so she kind of manipulates mm-hmm. her family to go uh to east tennessee and then when they get up to go the next day she and this is important she hides her cat in this like box Mm. so the cat is in the car no one knows it again she's kind of a crafty little minx (laughs) and so they are driving um and then she 
kind of remembers this plantation that she had visited when she was growing up. So they're on the car ride and, you know, you're staring at the window, nothing to do but recollect the good, the good old days. <laughs> and so she remembers this plantation and she really wants to go visit it. Yeah. So she offers to her uh, son who's driving the car, hey, can we stop at this plantation? And he's uninterested. And then slyly she makes up this lie that there's a secret panel is that what it is a secret panel in this house which is not true she's making it up but she's trying to get the kids on her side the grandkids on her side so they can go to this plantation so (laughs) she's like oh there's a secret room so the kids are these horrible brats so they're kind of clamoring so funny if you have siblings or been around kids they're perfect (laughs) they're clamoring to take this slight detour to go to this plantation so the father is kind of this passive both parents are pretty kind of passive figures in the story um like he relent that he consents to it and they head off to the plantation and as they are driving and this is just so real the grandmother has this horrible thought <laughs> and as a result of having this horrible thought she like kicks the the box that her cat was hidden in Mm -hmm. and then the cat springs out and jumps on the father's shoulders and then they get into this car crash (laughs) and what's so funny is the thought she had is oh no this house that we're going to is not in georgia they were in georgia at the time and she's like oh no we're making a detour to this location where the house isn't and so it's just like great shame and it causes this horrible car accident and then the kids are which is totally relatable like yeah like like, oh "Oh, no i don't think this is like when you're driving somewhere and you're like, right. oh, you turn right. I know right. for a fact you turn right. And then it's like no. 60 miles later, you're like, oh, no. And I don't want anyone to know. Right. Exactly. Because you're going to kill me because we're driving and it's an inconvenience. And so there's something about I do this shame. all the time. Me too. I, I, so when I read that part of the story, I like felt it in my body. I'm like, I know exactly what there's she's feeling. There's a pain feeling like, oh, you Yeah, my led. face got hot. Yes. Like, no. You got excited about something and then you led people astray. And it's yeah. like, I've just inconvenience people and this is terrible so they crash the kids are like car crash we got an accident they're kind of cheering and then lo and behold as they're in the side of the road the car is ruined this other car pulls up and they describe it like as a hearse so we know something is amiss and ultimately it ends up being the misfit so pulls over um at first they don't know who it is so they're just he's seems odd but mm-hmm. helping them get the car together but then the grandmother recognizes him mm-hmm. so she sees him and is like oh you look familiar and so when they're first interacting she just has this thought like oh i've seen you before but i don't know who you are and then she has a moment of recognition when she's like you were the misfit and he says you shouldn't have it would have been far mm-hmm. better for you if you would not have recognized me and then in flannery o'connor fashion uh, the misfit proceeds to kill the father the wife and the three kids they have a baby an infant Mm -hmm. who's so that's really (laughs) grotesque (laughs) and then uh the misfit has this exchange with the grandmother and then ultimately she is also killed so if you're just hearing a plot summary Mm -hmm. first of all it's great i mean like that's a if i heard that i'd be like i want to read that story it's an interesting plot but doesn't seem particularly catholic Mm -hmm. or christian or kind of in line with what we would think a christian writer would write But if you dig deeper, I think you really get into this theme of radical redemption. Mm. So we'll kind of discuss that because I think you have to look a little beneath the text 
to uncover it, but I think it's a pretty radical redemption for both the protagonist and the antagonist, the antagonist being the misfit, of course. So now, any now kind for, of thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. Marco? So like in terms of um, coming to a realization of who the misfit is in relation to the grandmother, is that, is that important? Like that, that, that she recognized him as her son. Yes, that's really important. Okay. I would say that's climactic. Okay. So that's... I'm sorry, would, did, did you, were you waiting to say that? I or? was. Oh, no. It. No, it's totally fine. People are... People no, are just because it's like right before her death, yes. she comes to this realization like... That would be like, oh. the moment of redemption. Right. I would say. Okay. So this famously Flannery O'Connor, this is a quote that she said, and most people are, are, are going to understand her stories through the lens of... These mo- her stories are all about these moments of grace mm-hmm. that are offered to people that are often refused. That's mm-hmm. kind of a paraphrase. I think Bishop Barron said that. Um, and then this was Flannery O'Connor herself. She said, "There's say a that mo- again." Uh, these stories are about moments of grace that are being offered to people that are often refused. Wow. So in all of her stories, there are offers of grace. Yeah. And most of the time, people are refusing them. Wow. Uh, in this story. It's accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Flannery O'Connor writes, there's a moment in every great story in which the presence of grace can be felt as it waits to be accepted or rejected, even though the reader may not recognize this moment. Hmm. And I would say that's so apt for a good man is hard to find. So we have this exchange. So the climax of this story is this exchange between the misfit, the misfit and the grandmother. Mm. So she's kind of dialoguing with them as he is helping with the car, mm-hmm. trying to fix their car. And then as he's kind of slaughtering, his, she, the misfit doesn't actually kill her family. He has these two like henchmen with him and he will send his henchmen and the family away into the woods and kill them. And while this is happening, she just hears like this li- she just litany hears of gunshots. It. And she doesn't and understand like, okay. at first what's going on because the misfit's like, Oh, my friend, will you take Bailey? Who's her son and Bailey's son into the woods. And then he, kills them but it's not in front it's not in front of her and so she at first doesn't know what's going on um but they have this exchange which is really relevant revelatory and so we'll see let me get there so in their exchange we find out that the misfit uh she, the grandmother is very concerned with like social niceties and bloodlines. Again, sort of a criticism of probably a certain Southern mentality. Um, and he reveals like, oh, I have the best parents. She said, she tells him the misfit, like, oh, you must have great parents because this is before she knows it's the misfit. This is while he's helping her, helping the family with the car. And he says something about, oh yeah, I have the best parents. Then you later find out he actually killed his father Mm -hmm. um, and is probably mentally insane. So that's kind of revealed in this conversation. And so the grandmother is just kind of grappling with that. She's sort of conversing with him and becomes like a begging. Mm -hmm. Like as she, as Mm -hmm. family members are killed, she's sort of begging that he does not at least kill her. And then there is, <laughs> right? I mean, he's just so interesting. I, mean, like, I guess she's it's like, you wouldn't kill an old, old woman. And he's like, yes, I, I wouldn't want to. And so they have this conversation, which is interesting. I mean, we won't go through all of it, but you kind of get his backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. The story is called the good man is hard to find. And that's repeated throughout the text. Um, but the misfit himself says, I ain't a good man, mm-hmm. man. So he has a self-awareness. So where the grandmother is in unreality and thinks she's a good woman and is 
lying and manipulative and honestly caused this whole thing. Right. They're only going to East Tennessee because of her. They're only on the ZTOR because of her. They only crashed because cat. of her. Yeah. And she has no sense of ownership of that. Yeah. So there is a self-awareness to him, which makes him an interesting character. Mm. You can kind of take what he's saying on some sense. Like he he's thoughtful and he's earnest. So that imbues his dialogue, I think, with some meaning. Um, and then, so they have this conversation. And I would say in this story, there's, if Flannery O'Connor is like, this offer of grace, I would say throughout like this exchange between the misfit and the grandmother, you see like grace knocking at the door. So when they're talking and the misfit is kind of talking about his past, that he used to be a gospel singer. He was a, he was married kind of this devolution of his character. The grandmother says like, pray, 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 pray. So she, in response to him and seeing his sort of, evil and insanity like this is the first moment that she's turning to god which i think is like oh that's the beginning of a redemption story right mm. moments when we're like there's nothing we can do yeah. but pray i would say in my opinion that's when it's like maybe she's the grace is knocking a bit yeah i mean and she's in this dire circumstance dire. of like oh my gosh yeah this guy is revealing to me a deep darkness in himself yes. that even he's sort of like confused about like what did i do yes. did it fit the crime like i don't remember yes. but i'm not just in here for nothing <laughs> like yeah, like he's mentally insane like yeah. oh i blacked out but I, I did it right and so she's being let into this psychosis in a way yeah. and then yeah then she just begins like pray 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 yes pray. which is like okay so redemption maybe starts with obviously it's not typically an interaction with a madman who's yeah. killing your family and is about to kill you but i think sometimes when we think about conversion or when we were most in need of saving it, it starts with us yeah. god does all the work but we have to turn to him right. so that to me i see that and like this desperation, desperation. there is a desperation yes, in her. I like mean, this is life or death yes you know in a real way truly life or death truly yes. yeah and so so is salvation yes, in a way absolutely you in know? a far more in a far more yeah way right not just like a hobby yes. for the religious but like really life and death yes and so she kind of starts that moment, the moment of grace begins, I think, with the pray, pray. Then some bad things happen. People <laughs> are killed. Children are killed and go away. So we get to what I would say um, is really the heart of the matter. So then the misfit is going to talk about Jesus. So the grandmother, when she starts saying pray, pray, she then says Jesus will help you. So she's a good southern woman right <laughs> she probably you know knows god and is a believer but there's no indication of a devout a devoutness or a piety in her but in this moment she starts talking about jesus and the misfit um does this wonderful thing where he says this line is so interesting to me jesus is shown uh, shown or thrown i think it's a mistype in our text but mm. jesus has thrown everything off ballot balance it was the same case with him as with me except he hadn't committed any crime that they could prove i'd committed well, I'm sorry. <laughs> My reading like I've never read before. <laughs> that was really horrible. Please just edit that out. <laughs> but basically what he says is Jesus has thrown everything off balance because mm. Smithwit is this criminal who committed a crime, who he knows he's deserving of doing his time. And here comes this Jesus mm. who never committed a crime, never did anything wrong, yet died the worst possible death. And so you see how Jesus can be so beguiling, not yeah. beguiling, can be so enchanting. Yeah. To people, even in the throes of sin, there's something about Jesus that is attractive, yeah. 
attractive to our soul. Yeah. And the mystic kind of shows that. Yeah. Like, yeah, this Jesus figure is different than anyone I've ever encountered. He's thrown everything off balance. Yeah, which is so interesting because a a little bit before this, he's basically saying, I don't need Jesus because I don't need no help. Yeah, he doesn't need help. Yeah, I don't need any help. But then at this point, he is coming, I don't know, maybe to a realization or... Or rousing a deep thought or belief like this Jesus is pretty intriguing. Yeah, or maybe like I don't need help from this figure who's thrown everything off balance. Maybe yeah. it's like he is, and we'll t- we, it's what you mentioned earlier, this is this radical figure. Mm. I don't know if I want to get help from this radical figure who may change mm. everything, right? I think yeah. some people have that. Like, oh, I, you know, maybe we're not serial killers, but... Jesus does demand something. Redemption Mm -hmm. is redeeming you from one thing to another. And so I think there's some recognition of how powerful he is. And maybe that's a bit of his wariness. It's like, I think this Jesus would throw everything off balance for me a little bit, which he ultimately Oh, I love that the grandmother's apologetic too. Like, wouldn't it be nice without to like live your life without being chased, you know, (laughs) constantly followed, you know, but he's just like, well, I mean, I don't need any help. Yeah. See, again, uh, probably a psychopath. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, maybe not. He's comfortable in his disorder. He's comfortable Uh in this very... depraved state. Yes. Well, and <laughs> it's know? grotesque, right? So right. again, it can be like, oh, well, he's a he's a psychopath who killed his dad and is on the run, but she's making a point how we are we kind of get comfortable yeah. in our sin. Yeah, and yeah. you know, I think we would believe as Christians that God is always pursuing you and there's some part of you that is always aware even if it's deep deep down. Yeah that you were made for God. And so if you're not a Christian, I would say you are kind of always on the chase, yeah, right? Yeah. God's always following you. And maybe in your moments of, of downtime, you're like, oh, I, someone's after me. And so she's being grotesque to make a yeah. point. And even the, I mean, where this all takes place in the deep South, which this woman obviously has a, a nostalgia yes. about. Yeah, exactly. But it is like this dangerous, like, <laughs> how is this going on? Like, <laughs> I know. It's crazy, well, it's right? Like the small town, <laughs> right? Like in the exactly. Middle of so it makes the South seem like, so, oh my gosh, it's dangerous. It's it like does, dangerous, yeah. right? Southern Gothic writing makes the South seem creepy and abandoned, right? Right. Old, but also fascinating. <laughs> I, you don't. I kind of want to go. Like I kind of <laughs> want to go there now. But more you can than kind of picture the ditch and the yeah, the, the road. Yes, and, you it know is what I mean? Beautiful. I mean, like right. the South is beautiful. So you can imagine it's like picturesque, but also it's like it's abandoned and right. it's dusty, and so it's like kind of the beauty and the darkness, which we would say is Christianity, right? There's, oh, absolutely. Right, like right. a God created world, but that's fallen. Yeah. So there is this juxtaposition that is the Christian life. Yeah. And even in the midst of this, this difficult terrain, yes. you call on Jesus and he shows up. Yes. And like he's knocking. And so maybe yeah. even the misfit really considering Jesus, this one who threw, threw everything off balance. It's like Jesus is knocking for both of them, which I love this story because yeah. it's both of them who are being changed. So mm. important when he's talking to her, um, he says like, he's talking about killing people and all this. And he says, there's no pleasure, but meanness, mm. meaning in his life, the only joy that he gets is from depravity, from mm. meanness. So that would be his worldview, if you will, before this moment of radical redemption. Mm. Um, and so then he starts talking 
um, about the resurrection and Jesus. So mm-hmm. I think that is when the moment of redemption happens for both uh, the grandmother and the misfit. So Jesus being raised from the dead is the moment that both of these souls are converted. I mean, how perfect is that? Oh my gosh. What is our moment of redemption? (laughs) Like when is every human being's moment of redemption is Christ being resurrected from the the dead. dead. So the misfit says he, you know, skeptical is saying, well, I don't know if, uh, Jesus was raised from the dead, right? We weren't there. How do we know? So she's, he's talking about the resurrection. And as he's talking about the resurrection, he, the grandmother changes. Okay. Hmm. So as he's talking about the resurrection, he says, and he says, if he knew Christ was resurrected, if I would have been there, speaking of the resurrection, I would have known and I wouldn't be like I am now. Wow. So he's saying, if I had proof yeah. If I saw with my own eyes Jesus was resurrected, I would not be that way. That's powerful. And in that moment, the grandmother head was cleared. She look at she looks at the man's face. He's about to kill her. He Mm -hmm. has just killed her grandkids, her daughter-in-law, and her son. And she looks at him and she cries out and she says, Why you're one of my babies? You're one of my own children. Mm -hmm. And she reaches out. To touch him. That to me is her moment, grace breaking in, and that is her moment of, re- of redemption. Wow. She sees Christ in him. It's yeah. the like, oh yes, like we are all from this resurrected God. All of our humanity, if we just would say yes, has mm. been redeemed by this moment. And she sees this man as one of her own, as her children. Yeah. That's beautiful that's grotesque too though right there's something grotesque i I taught this when i was a teacher and my students were livid at this line Mm. they were outraged they were like this man just killed your son and your grandkids and you're gonna bestow you're going to Mm. love him you're gonna try to like find common humanity and so your natural reaction is like how dare you but it's this moment of redemption i can see christ in you because christ was raised from the dead and in that she's redeemed and she was in need of redemption yeah right yeah she was a liar she was manipulative and in that moment she is redeemed and then he kills her (laughs) so she does get killed (laughs) so she's redeemed he kills her um but Flannery O'Connor's description of her in death just confirms mm. that she has been, yeah. she has met her savior because she says um, she's kind of lying in her blood, uh, blood and the Hiram and Bobby Lee or the henchmen are looking down, looking down at the grandmother who half sat and half lay in a puddle of blood with her legs crossed under her like a child mm. and her face smiling up at the cloudless sky. That's oh. her redemption. Yeah. Childlike open blue skies in front of me like smiling yeah so she was redeemed in this moment the suffering the sin this horrible but the moment she like really took to heart Mm -hmm. the resurrection if you will she could see she could love this man who killed her family and then she dies in peace yeah 
that's amazing. That's radical redemption. Yeah. What do you What do you say about this guy? Like, what What was the? Okay. So this is what I'll. You this know, because I I think people would say like, okay, well, yeah, she had a shift, but then. So yes, that's a great question. So then, um, the misfit's talking to his henchman. It's really interesting. He takes off his glasses. Um, and it, earlier, after he kills her, um, after he kills the grandmother, he takes off his glasses and he cleans them, meaning mm. his sight. I mean, if you want to be literate, you know, like I'm an English major. His, yeah. Well, no, he can see. Like his oh. glasses were foggy, oh, wow. but he takes off his glasses and he cleans them, almost like he's getting this new vision. Um, and then he talks, and this is just like the best line ever. Ever in literature. So uh, the henchman Bobby Lee is asking about the woman. He's like, she was a talker, wasn't she? And then the misfit responds, she would have been a good woman if if it had been somebody there to shoot her every minute of her life. Isn't that <laughs> awesome? Like, if you had a gun to your head, like, radical, radical, she would have been a good woman. I just love it. I don't even know if I fully know what it means, but it's so smart. Like, she would have been a good woman if she would have a gun to her head every minute. But at the end, so it's very subtle, the misfit's redemption, but I mentioned I said before, he said there was no pleasure in life but meanness. The hmm. only pleasure he got in life was killing. And then after he kills the grandmother, he the story ends with the misfit saying there's no real pleasure in life so in that moment he's like he has shifted Mm -hmm. like there's no longer any joy in this killing and so you would have to probably see the story through with (laughs) the misfit right but there's a change there yeah that there's no pleasure in life so he's lost his bloodthirst if you will and i think with the grandma her redemption it's pointing to him they're they're kind of protagonist antagonist against each other but kind of locked in this battle so her redemption may be mirroring his own yeah and so subtle but so that shift is profound yeah she's ending the story with this line there's no real pleasure in life so he's shifted and i would say that that could be radical redemption yeah, yeah. he encountered Jesus through her. Mm-hmm. There was something in her that was Christ-like. I mean, that's Christ-like. Right. In the moment right before death to be like, you're one of mine, that's Jesus on the cross, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So she encountered, he encountered Christ and the grandmother, and then you could say, yeah, he could be changed, and that's radical redemption. Yeah. Can this misfit be redeemed? Right, right. In Christian theology, you would have to Absolutely. say yes. Yeah. And so it's such a great subtle nod that you could miss, but it's like even he's not beyond the grasp of this crucified yeah. one, this resurrected one, who if he would have seen him, I want to be this way. And he, right. maybe he saw him mm. in the grandmother's death. It's like, oh, I saw Christ. Like, I believe mm. he really was resurrected. There's something transcendent about this woman Oof. that, you know, reminds, like, is the power of one who was resurrected, yeah. who didn't just die. And I think that changed him. There is something really amazing about this grandmother who just is is in dialogue with this just the whole time this whole time and like kind of through like knowledge is like as a dawning realization that he's a criminal that he's killing her family like there's it goes deeper more and more i mean it reaches a point where she can't even like say anything yeah and then she says jesus and then she just says jesus yeah another knock of grace i would say in the story i don't know after reading it i had a lot of a lot of appreciation for this woman a lot of appreciation for her. Yeah, it's, it was be- kind of a beautiful It's a beautiful unfolding. story. Yeah. So this would be 
you speak of it with such importance, like this this story. Like, what what's the import of it? I mean, it in I would say like world? it's concerned. I mean, I was an English major in undergrad. I'm no like literary maven, um, but this short story is considered one of the best short stories of all time. Wow. So widely, when I said it's relegated to anthologies, in probably almost every American literature anthology of short stories, this is going to be in it. So I, I I read it in college, and then again I read it with tenth graders to less. <laughs> fanfare than i thought how did they how did they receive it like what was like those who did receive it how did they receive it yes so they didn't i think understand the redemption angle i actually tried to bring it up and they just were like not buying that i mean it's subtle if you're a teen and you're reading this but they thought it was they thought it was interesting because of the misfit and the killing yeah which honestly i mean i don't know if that's kind of base but they (laughs) they 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 thought it was interesting it was very hard for them to understand um it's a hard story to understand she's Mm -hmm. not an accessible writer and you have to kind of be really thoughtful Hmm. and you have to reflect and you have to try to find meaning in the grotesque and not just sort of be like oh that character's crazy type thing so uh they were interested in it, but didn't necessarily understand it. But I, I, I did the good old college try with them. But, you know, they weren't. I was like, yeah, and she she was saved in that moment. They're yeah. like, she wasn't saved. She was killed. So, you know, and I was like, the glasses. He cleaned, you know, I'm like, he wipes the glasses off. He couldn't see, but now he can. And they're like, no, that's, that's stupid, Miss Comiskey. You're making that up. I'm like, I, I mean, maybe. <laughs> that's true. That's very true with literature. You can kind of make things up. Well, it's it's also really helpful to read this with other people who can Absolutely. who can kind Talk of about yeah because it does yes. it, do, it does elucidate the elucidate is that the right yeah. word yeah it sort of elucidates it yeah it shines light on on these seemingly obscure th- points you know like when he wiped his glasses I just thought it was another kind of grotesque yes. point of like there's blood on his face <laughs> which is true I mean it's that. which is that yes. and. Yes. Which like I he think, has this I mean, clarity now, you who know. Who knows her intention? But she was. She, short stories are, are so economical, right? You yeah. you have such a lack of words that every word matters. That's why yeah. novels can be harder to read because you have a capacity to write as much as you want. Mm-hmm. Short stories. These authors are so particular about every word mm-hmm. and every detail. So they're so like they're so dense and tight because the author has this like economy of words to use. And yeah. so I wouldn't think it's unintentional. She wouldn't need to include that detail, right? right. Why not? Right. Like, no, we're not interested in that unless it's like, oh, he's beginning to see. Yeah, he's getting his vision. What I really appreciate about it too is that it it, it does counteract a smug like a religious smugness. Yes. You know, that this is redemptive. Yes. There's something redemptive about this very uh, bloody, complicated scene of hum- yes. just humanity. I yes. mean, it shows kind of just a, a, a an honest picture yes. of humanity. Absolutely. You know, and, and these course. little cracks of grace where people are transformed. Yes. And it, it's good for Christians it, to read yeah, stuff like this. Yeah, and not smug and not judgmental. I mean, right. it's so easy to be like, oh, well, I don't really know if you, like, love Jesus, or I don't really right. think yeah. uh, you were changed by that. Yeah. You, don't, you know, you don't seem that different. And really, like, we're not the masters of anyone's soul. Right. Only God knows. Right. God and Jesus have access to souls. We Even our souls are somewhat unknowable <laughs> to us a yeah. little bit, right? Like, we, we can experience it. So it does help you kind of really not want to judge other people's experience of grace and redemption, but really believe that the Lord 
is working. It's not up to us to decide. And this story kind of challenges yeah. our notions of what it looks like. It's not just Paul and Mary Magdalene, right? Which is beautiful <laughs> and helpful. And, you know, they're forerunners for a reason. But it, these small moments could really change souls. And that's a beautiful way to look at life and abuse it with a meaning, I think, that is sometimes lost if we're so, everything is so big and broad. I, li- I love this quote I read today by George Weigel um, writing on Flannery O'Connor, and he says this, Flannery O'Connor saw this coming, he was talking about sort of this, this air of nihilism um, in the mid-1950s, writing to a friend, if you live today, you breathe in nihilism, it's the gas you breathe. The way to push back, she understood, was through the church. Why? Because the church teaches that everything is of consequence. For the Son of God became incarnate, suffered, and died to redeem everything. I like that because when you read this story, you do see how, like you said, Katie, just these knocks of grace. The Lord wants to redeem everything. Everything. So everything has a consequence in our humanity, like the misfit and the way he reached a point of just a heinous man. Yeah, or even the grandmother. I mean, this is not a right. reality tale, but her lying and oh, her yeah. machinations led to right. her feeling brutal. Seemingly benign, but yeah, still but, very... But, leading to her and you could when you read the story you get a sense of this is the habit yeah. this is their relationship yeah. the the son is passive she's controlling and superficial <laughs> and so it, it, there's a realness to the story that you're like oh this family this is just what this family is like right but it leads to the consequence which is everyone being <laughs> brutally murdered so that's <laughs> <laughs> Take that with the greatest salt, but it is a consequence. It's a consequence. The cat was she snuck the cat in, and the cat was the the impetus for the car crash, which was the misfit coming right, like her hiding a cat. When the cat jumped out and grabbed on to Bailey's neck yes. and just catapulted this, whole, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> okay, You're also, like, Whoa. side note: we were Marco and I were talking about the story yesterday and the influence that Flannery O'Connor has. Um, in very, a wider way of like artists and directors. And so the Coen brothers, who Marco and mm. I love, oh, yeah. uh, Bishop Barron pointed out in this documentary or this uh, video he made about Flannery O'Connor that their work is kind of imbued with mm. references to Flannery O'Connor. And if you've ever seen Inside Lewin Davis, mm. Llewellyn Davis, have you seen that movie? No, I haven't. The story actually begins with a cat escaping from an apartment <laughs> and it takes this guy on this like weird odyssey oh, that cool. changed well it kind of doesn't change his life but that's the point of the story but it was literally a cat jumping out of i think it's actually a subway he escapes <laughs> and the story is him trying to get the cat back and it's like such like a plot in point yeah, like an yeah. engine and it's like from the story i guarantee you it's from the story so That's she's kind awesome. of everywhere and then you mentioned yeah i was mentioning three billboards outside of ebbs missouri there's a scene in the movie where um francis mcdormand walks in to to change the billboards in the town and the guy is reading this very short story and you can see the title of it and then he has to like put the book down to see her. Yes, it's you know? so cool. So this story, I think it really is, it's so brilliant. Yeah. And you can, you can consume it and you could read it in 20 minutes, I would say, take your time to really digest it. But it's everywhere. And so it's just such an influential work. And I do think to end, maybe we talked about Flannery O'Connor being pretty radical. And so I think this quote is a good reminder to us, those who believe in Jesus, 
we've said yes to him, but just mm. a reminder of the importance to <laughs> stay committed to him. It's yeah. so easy to grow lukewarm and you know, revelation tells us not to grow lukewarm. There could be nothing worse, but this is, um, the misfit talking. Um, and so it's her radical understanding kind of summed up. So Jesus was the only one that ever raised the dead and he shouldn't have done it. He's shown everything off balance. If he did what he said, then it's nothing for you to do, but throw, throw away everything and follow him. Mm -hmm. So the misfit is saying, if he raised the dead, which we believe, throw everything away, follow him. Or he continues, and if he didn't, then it's nothing for you to do, but enjoy the few minutes you got left the best way you can by killing someone or burning down his house or doing some other meanness to him. Wow. So that's Claire yeah. O'Connor, right? Throw away everything or follow him or do whatever you want. Amen. Yeah. And that God will save you, you know, and yes. he'll use any anyone to yes. do that. And God saved him from him because him burning down houses and Absolutely. killing bodies like yeah. he didn't believe he raised the dead and he used this old manipulative <laughs> lady who had a moment of grace and recognition and that changed him yeah i would say you know again it's not Absolutely. conclusive but that's why the story is good yeah. how horrible would the story be and then the misfit changed <laughs> and he lived happily ever happily ever after you'd be like this story stinks and it's so brilliant to leave it on this line that only a close reading would find but yeah. amazing highly recommend Thanks for leading us in this, Katie. Yeah, it was really, really you. good. Yeah. Um, so Flannery O'Connor. Flannery O'Connor. It's hard to find. Download, download it and yes. do yourself the favor. Read it. All right, everybody. Thanks Thank for joining you. us today. Join you next week. Yeah. Bless you.